I would love to tell you that I am excited to preach this message this morning, but I would be lying. Uh, I would love to dodge this one. But uh, when I tackle a series like this, one of the great things about a series like this is you're forced to talk about stuff even if you don't want to talk about it. So uh, that's kind of where we're headed this morning. We are talking about the parables of Jesus Christ, and that's the series that we're going through. We have started talking about the kingdom parables that are mentioned in, primarily in Matthew chapter 13. Uh, the first four parables deal with how we get into the kingdom of heaven and, and, and who's a part of the kingdom of heaven. And so we talked about the, the sower and we talked about the um, uh, wheat and the tares. We talked about the idea of the mustard seed and the leaven and how all of those give us some insight into what the kingdom of God is like. And then last week, we talked about the treasure and the pearl, talking about the cost that's involved in being part of the kingdom. And so this morning, we're coming to the last of those parables. And actually, there's, there, there's two that we're going to look at this morning. They're both tied together. But the parable's pretty tough. Uh, Christo- well, one of the great church fathers said it this way, this is a terrible parable. It really is. I mean, that, that's what he said. Uh, Gregory the Great said this, this is a parable that rather to be trembled at than expounded. In other words, let's not even talk about this one. It's that harsh and that hard for us. But we believe that we teach the whole Bible, and that means even parts that we don't like. So, we're diving in this morning head first, all right? So, let me read you the parable, and then we'll talk about it, and then we'll get a lot of application from it. Here's what Jesus said. Again, he's talking just to his disciples. They're in the house, and here's what he said. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up to the shore, They sat down, they collected the good fish in baskets, and they threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous, throw them into a blazing furnace where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. So Jesus looks at his disciples, and he gives them this fishing story. Now you have to remember that many of the disciples had a fishing background. So they would have very much related to this parable. Now, because we think of fishing differently today, let me help you understand what fishing was like in the biblical times. There were actually about four ways to fish. One is like we do today with a bobber and a hook, okay? One is they would cast a net. This was a one-person job. And they would throw the net in, it had weights, it would sink to the bottom, they would wait for a few minutes, as fish swam over, they'd pull it up real quick, it would collapse on itself, and then they would pull the fish out. Another way was the trommel and the drag net, and these are very similar. In the trommel net, what they would do is they would put out a big long circle, and as they would circle it, they would catch fish, and then they would pull that into the boat. 
The dragnet, they would anchor one of the nets on the shore, and either someone would walk the dragnet out, and then they would start to bring it back to shore, or they would take a boat, in some cases almost a half a mile long of net, and take a boat straight out and then bring it back to shore. So here's kind of some ideas. This is um, that's basically a casting net. This would sink to the bottom, and then they would pull it up. Uh, here's a guy that, that has one that it has a hoop on it. So as that would sink on the bottom, he'd let it set. They'd wait for some fish to swim over, and they'd yank it up real quick, and then he would sort the fish. This is a guy doing the drag net where he is actually laying that net out and pulling it across. To give you an idea, here's another idea of guys that were just doing it from the shore. If you'll notice, when you're doing the drag net or the travel net, it, it's more than one person, and that's important to the story. And then they would bring them to shore, and, and what happens is the gills get caught in the net. And they would sort through, and they would start pick, picking out, because the way with the dragnet, the trommel network, it caught everything, good and bad. Or here's another picture of them on the shore trying to sort through all of these fish. So this is the story that Jesus tells this, these people, uh, his disciples. And uh, it was something that they would have been um, very, very familiar with. Now, the parable in some ways is similar to the, fir- to the second parable Jesus tells about the wheat and the tares. Because if you remember the wheat and the tares, at the end, they sorted the wheat and the tares. But the focus of the wheat and the tares is the idea that Christians and non-Christians grow together. The focus of the parable of the fish story, the dragnet, which is the term Jesus uses here, is the sorting. We're going to figure out who's who. That's the focus of this story. And so we have to understand that as we get to it, um, we see Jesus, when he interprets it, he says a couple of things. First of all, one of the things that he says is the angels are the ones who do the sorting. Uh, I don't have time to get into the role of angels today. But let's understand that uh, angels, uh, angels in the Bible, um, they're, they're not, how do I, I, I got to be careful how I say all of this stuff, because they're not our former loved ones. Right? Angels are created beings. The thing that's interesting is that you and I possess something angels cannot understand, and that's the gift of salvation. So the angels actually minister to us, the Bible says. So in this portion of the world right now, the angels minister us. They're ministering spirit. At the end of the age... They become the people who sort because they know who's real and who's a genuine believer and who's not. So it's interesting because their role at the end of the age, and a lot of people believe this passage is about the great white throne judgment, for those of you who are uh, students of, of the scriptures for a long time. So it has that idea of, of, of this is the role of the angels is in the sorting. So one of the questions that we have to ask ourselves is this whole idea of judgment and and God, and Jesus, and I thought God was a loving God, and how could God do that, and all of those kinds of things. So we're going to wrestle with it this morning, because this is going to come up. There, Depending on how you read it, there's about, depending on who you talk to, 30 to 42 parables, depending on which one you classify as a parable and which one you don't. Seven of them deal with judgment at the end. So Somewhere between 20 and 25% of the stories that Jesus is going to talk about deal with this aspect of judgment at the end of the kingdom age. So let's talk about um, what the Bible says. 
Uh, first of all, there are a lot of people would like to say, well, I don't believe in hell. I don't believe that there is such a place. But here's the problem. When Paul writes in the New Testament, on 80 different, on 80 occasions, Paul talks about judgment at the end. 80 times. If you take every reference that Paul has to mercy, forgiveness, and heaven, and add them all up, they don't come to 80. So it's something the New Testament addresses. If you look at the life of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ talks about hell specifically 15 times. Um, seven, uh, let me see, nine of those are in Matthew, two of those are in Mark, and two, are, I'm sorry, nine are in Matthew, three are in Mark, and three are in Luke. He doesn't use the term specifically hell in the book of John. If you look at the life of Jesus Christ and what he teaches regarding the um, idea of condemnation, destruction, perishing, flame, or fire, he's going to mention that another 15 times. Nine of those are going to be in Matthew, two are going to be in Mark, two are going to be in Luke, and two are going to be in John. So at least 30 times in the life of Jesus, he's going to bring up this idea. So if you're going to believe and follow Jesus, you have no choice but to listen to his words. And on 30 times, he talks about this. 80 times, Paul talks about this. So whether we want to like it or not, it's something the Bible deals with uh, when we talk about this. So I think we need to understand a couple of things as we get into this. So let me talk a little bit about hell as the New Testament and that talks about. Um, it's often described as a place of, dar of, of darkness. The idea is torment, misery, plain. The idea is that it is a place of no relief. That's clear. The Bible talks about it as a place of fire, dealing with the idea of both body and soul. Uh, it's a, a place in which the soul is tormented and the body is tormented. And you go, well, what? wait a minute, I thought that when I died, my body stayed here. Well, your body does stay here until the resurrection. And then just as we believe believers, their body is united with their soul in the same way, the unrighteous, because... When Revelation talks about it, it says, you know, and death and hell were cast to the lake of fire. It's the idea, body and soul. When we get to the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, we get the idea that there are, and some writers throughout history have alluded to this, that there are actually levels or degrees of hell based on a number of things. So there is, the bottom line is, it's kind of like even the most basic of level, you don't want to be there, much less past any, anything like that. So the reality of it is that uh, that's what the Scripture talks about. And the Scripture talks about the idea that it's eternal. It doesn't end. Ever. Just like we believe heaven is eternal, hell is as well. 
So one of the questions that we come up with and one of the struggles that we all have when we start talking about this is why in the world would God do that? So let's make sure we understand why. When Satan and a third of the angelic host rebelled against God, God cast them out of heaven, and he had to put them someplace. And we went up against God and said, we don't want to follow you. We want to do it our way. And God said, you're out. So I'm going to create a place for you. It is going to be totally opposite everything you got to experience. A place of torment, a place of memory, misery. You don't want to follow me, fine, then you can pay the price for not following me. So you need to understand that hell was created for Satan and his angels. Not for us. Not for people. But when sin enters into the picture, God now has to decide what does he do with people because of their sin, because they've said, I don't want you, God. Haven't you said the same thing the angel said? So God said, that's where they can spend eternity. But God, understanding that, loved us so much, he wanted to spare everybody from that. So let's understand this. When we talk about this doctrine, this, 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 this teaching, this Bible teaching of hell, let's understand a couple things. It was not created for people. It was created for Satan and his angels. Let's understand that the Bible is very clear. God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. None. He's very clear about that. Let's understand the idea that in 2 Peter, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And let's understand the idea that this breaks the heart of Jesus. I mean, as he's going to the cross and he stops um, just before, just before he, he went through all of the, the torment and everything else on, on, on Jerusalem, he stops outside the city of Jerusalem, realizes the fate of all these people if they reject him. And he breaks down weeping. And understand that because of there is a hell, and because God doesn't take pleasure in the death of the wicked, and because God loves us and God wants to make a way, Jesus goes to the cross so no one has to go there. You know the verse. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. He loves us so much that he says, I will make a way, because they could never pay for it, they could never earn it, they could never do good enough stuff. I will pay the price, and I will offer it to any of them as a free gift. But they're going to spend their life saying no to me, they're going to spend their life rejecting me, then I have no choice because I'm a holy, righteous God, but to send them to a place where Satan and his angels have rejected me as well. That's tough. Now you know why I haven't wanted to preach this today? 
you with me yet on this? I'd love to just skip this right over and let's talk about Mr. Potato Head or something. Um, I'm sorry. Let's just talk about Potato Head, um, you know. Really, you get up in the morning and you're worried about a plastic potato. Uh, but anyway, that's another issue. Uh, but, I mean, I, I, seriously, I, I would love to skip this over. But if Paul talks about it 80 times and Jesus specifically talks about it 30 times, guess what? There's a reason that 20 to 25% of Jesus' parables talk about this. Because this is a big deal. Now, what's interesting is this parable goes on. Listen to the next phrase. Here's what he said. Jesus is talking to his disciples. Have you understood all these things? Jesus answered yes, they replied. This is like a teenager when you look at him and go, okay, do you hear what I'm saying? And they go, yes. And you know, they didn't hear anything. So the disciples look at him and go, yeah, sure. Yeah, we heard what you said. So Jesus just gives them a benefit of the doubt. And he follows up, and here's what he said. He said to them, therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. So he looks at him and he says, okay, guys, have you got all of this? And they go, yep, we got it. He goes, all right. Then he said, just like a scribe, and a scribe in the Old Testament was someone who copied the word of God, and they were often the people who, when you had a question about the Bible, you would go to them, and they would help you get the answer, right? So Jesus said, you're kind of like a scribe, but you're also like a householder. And what a householder do, you know, you're filling out your taxes, you know, or you go, you know, head of the household, okay? You know, you know that little checkbox that you put in? Head of the household. What does that mean? That means you're responsible for the house. So in our family, I'm the head of the household. And in our family, I happen to do most of the shopping for the family. Because I have to shop for the family, I love Amazon subscribe and save. Because I just check the boxes. I don't have to think twice about it. It comes every month. So I, about the middle of every month, I go through my subscribe and save list. Because if I don't, they're automatically going to ship me a whole bunch of stuff come the first week in, uh, of the month. So this week, Amazon's going to be delivering stuff to me all week. Because I've got all my subscribers. So what I do is I go and subscribe to tape. And so I start, okay, you know what? We have enough of that. <clears throat> we have 10 cases of toilet paper. We probably don't need another one delivered this month. Okay? All right. You know, we have, we have, we have you know, all of these things. And so I go in and I check so that I make sure that we have what we need so that when we run out of something, I can go to the back room or Gene can go to the back room, grab what we need, bring it in, and replace it <clears throat> with what was gone. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, look, you guys, you've heard me talk about this stuff. Now, you guys are like a householder. Just like kind of the scribe helped explain stuff to people, your job is to take these things that I have taught you And as people start to question some of the old things, as some of these old issues start to come, I need you to come alongside of them and bring with them, bring with you this teaching so that you can be a good householder and teach them the things that I've taught you. That's your responsibility, guys. That's what I need you to do. So Jesus kind of wraps this parable up and says, 
So you guys, what I need you to do now is I need you to take all of these things that I've talked about. The wheat and the tares and the lavin and the pearl and the treasure and the dragnet. And I need you to kind of take these things. I need you to start sharing these with people, guys. I need you to help make sure they're ready because your job, just as a householder took care of the family, took care of everything else, your job is to take this message out into the world, guys. That's what I'm going to need you to do. So as we look at it, they had that responsibility. So that's the challenge somewhat for us today. So the question comes down to now is, okay, so what do we do with this whole hell thing and doctrine and all of that? I mean, how do, how do we look? Let's be really honest. None of us like the idea of hell. The reason we don't is because we all have loved ones or friends or someone else who, as far as we know, we don't think they're a believer. And so we like to look at it and go, well, you know, I mean, they're a really nice person. I just can't imagine this nice person and da-da-da. And so we have a real struggle with this idea of eternal punishment. We have no problem with the idea of eternal reward. Heaven, golden streets, we have no problem with that. A problem with the idea of eternal punishment. So let me help you out for a second before we get too far into the application for us this week. And here's what I would say. First thing you need to remember is this. Anytime the Bible talks about salvation, it's not talking about it for you to apply it to somebody else. Salvation is personal. Salvation is about what you have done with Jesus Christ. Period. I've heard many of your testimonies. You could tell me how you got saved. I've seen how you live your life. But here's the bottom line. I don't know if you're saved or not. I live with my wife. I don't know if she's saved or not. And don't, we're not going to get into, do you have those moments? No. I mean, I don't know. You know why I don't know? Because I'm not her. There's only one person in this building that I can speak to as far as whether or not they're a Christian and a follower of Jesus Christ, and that's me. I can go by what you say, but it's between you and God. So it's not my job to guess, judge, or whatever else your salvation. That's between you and God. And that is important for us to understand because often what happens is we look at somebody and go, well, I know how they lived and da 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 and there's no way they could be a Christian. Wait a minute. That's a job for the angels, not for you. And Jesus already said that in two of the parables out of the seven that we, or eight that we've looked at. So let's understand that when we talk about the issue of salvation, the only person this is about right now is me. You. Whether or not you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Whether or not you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's personal. Between you and God. Second idea is this. You don't know what anybody does in the last moments of their life. You don't know. You don't know what went through their mind. You don't know what went through their heart. You don't know. And the great thing about salvation is Jesus made it so simple. You could do it anytime, anywhere, any place, in any circumstance. And he actually gives us an illustration of that as he's dying on the cross 
and a thief becomes a Christian and believes in God, and he can never go to church, he can never give a dime, he can never jump through any hoops, all he can do is believe. And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Those are Jesus' words. So you have to remember, when you start looking and going, well, you know, I know how that person lived their life. and da, da, da. Stop. You can't make, you don't know. You don't know. And it's not your job to judge. Okay. Am I really clear on this? Because what happens is when we get into this, it's like, well, you know, you know, I know this person and they were a really nice person. I just can't believe God would send them to hell and da, 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 da. First of all, stop. Let's get our terminology right. God doesn't send anyone to hell. They choose to go there by rejecting Jesus Christ, period. God's choice is that everyone come to know him. He made it so anyone, regardless of your past, can come to a faith and saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and spend eternity with him. That's what he did. You go, what about this? What about the, you know, I know people who live this way or do this. Stop. The only reason a person spends eternity in hell is because they rejected Jesus Christ. Period. Period. It's a choice. And you go, well, you know, I just think God would like when you give, God would just like give them a second chance because they didn't understand. Every time your heart beats, every time your lungs expand, that's God's grace and God's mercy saying, trust me. Put your faith and trust in me. That's all right. I'm used to it. Put your faith and trust in me. Every single time you have a heartbeat. You think God's going to let your heart beat every single day for 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years and say, no God, 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 no God. Oh God, I just didn't understand. Give me another shot. Every time your heart beats, every time your lungs expand, it's the grace of God saying, I love you. Trust me. Hell's prepared for devil and his angels. But if you reject me, I have no choice. My holiness and righteousness demands that that's where you spend eternity. Please, please trust me. And he does everything in his power to show you that you and I have an opportunity to put our faith and trust in him. This passage, I go back to what Gregory the Great said, which I think is just so applicable. It's rather to be trembled at than expounded. So two things. It's a warning and it's a challenge. Here it is. There is a day of sorting coming. Make sure you're ready. Make sure you're ready. Make sure you know you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Make sure you know that you have come to a point in your life where you said, I know I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. God, forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. Make sure about you. Period. Because there is a day coming when God and the angels sort out the righteous from the unrighteous. The righteous 
go to him. The unrighteous, cast away from him. In a place we know is hell. You go, well, I don't believe in hell. Well, then, then you can't believe in heaven. Because the Bible talks about them both equally. So if there's no heaven, if there's no hell, then there can't be any heaven either. It's a package deal. And so what he says here is he says, look, make sure you're ready. That's what he's telling the disciples. Guys, look, there's going to come a time. And, and to the disciples, this was such a common thing. We gather in the fish, we sit on the bank, and we go, that's a good keeper, that's not, that's a keeper, that's not. Those of you, you ever pick sweet corn? You know how you do this? You know, you know, you shuck sweet corn, you shuck it out, and you go, oh, that one's got a worm in it. I don't want that end. We do this all the time, and what he's saying is there's coming a day when God sits down and says, it's the end of the age, it's now time to sort out who's who. The righteous and with, with me in eternity in hell. The unrighteous apart from me in hell with the Satan and his angels. That day is coming. So it is a warning. And it's a warning, by the way, Jesus, seven of the parables are going to talk about this. Seven. Thirty times Jesus is going to talk about this. Eighty times Paul is going to talk about this. Why? Because it's important. In fact, I got a pastor friend this morning. He's in Chicago. He's been through a lot over the last couple of years in particular. One of the questions, he does a lot of funerals. Uh, for people who have no church background or anything else. And one of the questions that he gets asked all the time is, what would you, if you, if you knew you were preaching your last message, what would it be? And he's actually going through a series right now, this is what my last message would be. This morning, he happens to be talking about hell. Because whether you like it or not, the Bible speaks about this. The Bible speaks about it a lot. It is real. There is a place for people who say no to God. But God made it so no one has to go there unless they reject him. Second thing is, so first of all, it's a warning. Make sure you're ready. Second thing, if you're a child of God here this morning, you're a disciple of the kingdom, as he talked about. You have a job to let the world know the gospel, the good news, the fact that God provided a way so that other people, so that anyone can come to a saving knowledge of Christ, so anyone could put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's our job. That's what we have to do. We have to share that message with the lost world, with the world that needs it, because if you haven't figured it out yet, We're in a world that only wants to hear good, happy things. And if something's offensive or something's difficult, we ignore it, change it, or paint it a different color. And if you haven't figured it out yet, we're in a world that gets offended at everything. I bought pancake mix this week. I purposely bought Aunt Jemima because it's one of the last ones with the box thing. Really? This keeps you awake. This keeps you awake. You know, the potato head thing this week just about pushed me over the edge. If you don't know what I'm talking about, Hasbro has changed the name of Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head to Potato Head because potatoes don't, are not gender specific. 
People laid awake thinking about this? You know? I mean, come on. We're in a world that... So you can imagine what the world wants to do with the doctrine of hell or judgment. They want to paint God as some grandfather in a chair who just says, everybody's welcome. Well, think about it for a minute. If heaven is about everybody's welcome, how is it any different than here? And I wouldn't look forward to this for eternity. I mean, how is that different? Heaven is filled with people who want to follow God and who have chosen to follow God. Then that's who I want to be with. I love being with this group. That was the hardest thing about the pandemic because we couldn't all get together. And, and so I love being able to come in here and see people and go, yeah, we have all of this in common. And believe it or not, to a degree, fellowship is a small taste of what heaven's going to be for all eternity. So ladies, what you got to experience yesterday, and you know how it encouraged you, and and, and you laughed, and you enjoyed it, that's a small taste of what waits us for all eternity. The church getting together. What I think is so interesting in this parable is up until now, in all the parables Jesus has told, it's about a person. A person goes and finds a treasure. A person goes and finds a pearl. A person sows seed. A person. In all of the parables up until now, it's been about a person. Dragnet fishing involves a group. You can't do it on your own. And I think the idea here is as he's talking to his disciples, he's trying to say, look guys, you have to go out as a group, help each other, encourage each other, build each other up. You have to go out and share this with everyone. And the, here's the other thing about Dragnet. It caught everything. It, I mean, it would pull up stumps if they were there. It would Because it would literally just scrape across the bottom. There were weights at the bottom. There were floats at the top. And as they pulled it in, anything in that path got caught in it. And that's the idea. The idea is that as I go out and share the gospel, I share it with everyone. I don't discriminate against, well, I don't know, you know, that looks like a pretty good fish. Maybe I'll just try to get, no, you, you share it with everyone. And there'll be some that put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But we do it as a group. And that's the, the, I think that's the value of the church, that we encourage and help each other and, and build each other up in such a way that we're emboldened to be able to share the gospel. And I know we're in a culture, agrarian world, where we don't like to talk about some of this. Well, you know, I just think religion should be like your own thing. I get that. I understand that. But you know what bothers me? Is that I watch Christians who, if you are around them any length of time, you will know the things that they enjoy and participate in. You will know in some cases what baseball teams they, 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 they root for. You will know what football teams they are. You'll know whether they were in Nebraska or Iowa. You'll know, you'll know right away whether they write Harleys or Indians. You know, you don't have to be around them enough, but there's just something about them that at some point they're going to talk about it or you're going to see something or you're going to know where they stand. Here's the thing. Okay, I, 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 you know, I, I have a Harley, and I have Harley jackets, and I have Harley shirts, and I have all the Harley stuff. And basically, all Harley stuff is is 
stuff from China and they add $20 to all of it. Um, so if it's a $20 t-shirt, at Harley it's a $40 t-shirt. It, you know, I, I mean, in order to have that. But here's the thing. When I have that on, I don't sit there and go, mm-hmm. you know, I have a friend who has a Honda, Goldwing. I'm worried about what he's going to think. Oh, you know what? They have an Indian bike or a Yamaha or a Suzuki or a BMW. And, I, you know, I, I just don't want to offend them with, but you know, I'm like, Harley, man. <laughs> well, pastor, I don't like that you ride a Harley. You should ride an Indian. Buy me one. I'll ride it too. <laughs> I'm not that sold on it. Believe me. Okay. I'll jump ship pretty quick. You know, I'll ride both. But when it comes to our Christianity, we're like, mm. Well, you know, this is just up to you, whatever you want. You know, I'm just not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say that much. <laughs> Harley! <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian, but don't tell anybody. Really? It's about eternity. It's about eternity, folks. Why are we so quiet? Because here's what I'm learning. In this culture, everybody with their crazy agendas are not quiet about it. In fact, they have no, I'm not saying you do this, but they have no qualms about shoving it down my throat. And I'm afraid to stand up for Christ? Really? Really? Jesus looks at these guys and says, you're like scribes. You're disciples of the kingdom. Go out. Be a householder. Take care of things. Let people know. Make sure they know. Because eternity is at stake. Eternity is at stake, guys. And so uh, that's my challenge to you. That's my challenge. Listen, I'm with Gregory the Great, you know. (laughs) Let's, let's, Let's not even talk about it. Let's just move on. But if I'm going to be authentic and true to the word of God, I can't do that. Because Jesus doesn't do it. So I end this morning with this. Jesus reminds us that a day of judgment is coming. When God will sort the righteous from the unrighteous. This parable is a warning to make sure that we have a personal relationship with Jesus and that we are part of his kingdom. It is also a challenge to share Christ with everyone we can. We are required and encouraged to be a light in a very dark world. Let's make a difference this week. Lord, thank you for the time. Lord, we understand the seriousness of what we're talking about. I honestly like it's not something we want to talk about. It's not something that is pleasant to talk about. But the reality of it is, Lord, we will one day stand before you. And based on whether or not we have accepted you or rejected you determines our eternal destiny. Lord, for folks here that are listening who are 
here this morning who have never put their faith and trust in you, Lord. May you help them to understand your great love for them, your offer of salvation, and may they accept it. For those of us that have accepted it, may we go into the world this week, Lord, and share Christ with those you put into our path. These things we ask in your name. Amen.